0: Ooh, that sugar sweet. You got what I need. Sipping on the potion, all Ooh. that a kind
1: emotion. Of Just my kind of heat, keeping it beat. How are you? Just
2: Where I'm going, stay on the fly, just in time, know the right way to go.
1: Oh, wait, Jason, let me fix my um, earbuds one
3: second, okay?
1: Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm just setting up the room while you do that. I can hear you. Can you hear me now?
4: I had my earbuds um, on and it was causing a problem, but now they're off, I'm good.
1: (laughs) That's okay, that's okay Della, so great to see you. And uh, I'm just pinging a few people in so that they can enjoy our conversation today. Awesome. On what we are gonna do. Okay, so do enjoy the music while I do this. Welcome, welcome to Brand Identity Design. My name is Jason. I'm your host. I'm a corporate identity designer. I'm always in the hunt for finding something new, interesting to learn and unlearn and how to apply it onto my business and and assist my clients in the process. So I I did stumble upon, excuse me. I did stumble upon an article by Howard Business and I have it pinned uh, to the top uh, of the link. uh, On Clubhouse. So, in case if you're hearing us on on replay or live, please click on the link above. You should be able to go through the article which we would be reviewing today. In case if you be if you would be hearing this uh, show on any audio-based broadcasting platforms like Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or any other audio-based broadcasting platforms, uh, please look at the show notes. You should be able to see this. So, I want to first of all uh, welcome Della, Della is a good friend of mine and uh, this was on a very short notice, uh, We I wanted somebody to review this article and I've been trying to find uh, somebody who can actually break this article down and uh, now if you don't know about Della, Della has around 14 years of experience in, in, in educating people, in teaching people especially about uh, with the language English. And uh, I, I really admire this specific skill set uh, which she has. Now, the skill set is about uh, breaking down complex items or complex uh, languages or wordings uh, in a book, articles or anything of that nature. She likes to break it down and uh, she likes to make it simplified so that people can understand it. And I, I really uh, you know, felt very connected in the way how she was doing it. So what I decided is that, you know, I was like, Della, you know, let me let me actually send you an article. It's possible that some people may not really get the message. Can you help us, you know, debunk this? When I say debunk, like, you know, simplify it down for the average audience uh, so that entrepreneurs who are into business can actually apply this logic and see how they can transform their business. So I want to welcome Della. Uh, Thank you so much for being here and also for giving us the opportunity to go through the article along with you. So in you know, educating us and as all the people who will be listening to this. So thank you for being here.
4: Yes, you're welcome. It is my pleasure. Um, so what I love about this was um, you sent me the article and, or you told me, oh, can you can you talk to me about, um, or can we talk about maybe business? And the first thing I said to you was, oh no, Send me the (laughs) article first. Let me read it through because, you know, I am new to business. I am new to starting my own business. I've been on this journey for about nine months with its ups and its downs. Um, But the one thing that I'm not new to is the whole idea that I can learn anything. Um, And that I believe that my students can also learn anything. So when I heard the word Harvard, I was like, Harvard, what? Okay, let me... Let me get the article first, and I got the article, and I started reading it, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh! This this applies to me." Um, and so I'm hoping that for anyone in the in the listening lounge and on the replays, this will apply to you as well. You can see connections. Um, so um, I can start. Let me start by asking if I can ask you a question, um, Jason.
1: <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> okay
4: if you go to the airport if you are at the airport and then you're waiting for your flight what um, what magazine are you going to pick up what what's what magazine are you going to pick up and purchase
1: mm-hmm. most likely uh, something to do with business and if i see something about automotive i'll pick up that because those are my interests so i like uh, anything to do with traveling motorsports uh, or business you know either of those
4: interesting so if i go to the airport um the magazines that i'm gonna pick up um it's not gonna be a cosmo um because that says something about me it's probably gonna be more of like a jane magazine um or maybe even like a a a a good housekeeping or there's a magazine called real and basically the article is talking about um why your customer's social identity matters and the article is talking about how we buy things based on how on the groups that we identify with based on the groups that we belong to and the groups that we um don't want to belong to so i'm picking up a magazine and in the back of my mind i'm like oh this is who i am (laughs) i am a progressive you know woman who wants to read you know i don't want to read the fluffy cosmo magazine with like fluffy you know topics i want to read something that might you know you know be socially conscious um but i also do want to read about you know a little bit about fashion and, and makeup so um, does that make any sense to you
1: 100 percent. yes it does make sense to me so you mean to say uh we do have different interests And we like to be associated to those interests. So it is possible that, uh, you know, when we go do our things, we will try to meet the dots, connect the dots and and try to reflect uh, some sort of association unconsciously or consciously. Is that what you're trying to say?
4: Exactly. Exactly. So the article talks about a social identity. So a social identity is how you group yourself, how, how who you align yourself with, what other groups that you align yourself with. And the article is saying that people often buy based on this social identity. And I think for me, um, what came up is I, at one point, was a part of about a hundred Facebook groups.
3: A hundred Facebook What? Groups. I <laughs> know.
4: <laughs> it's a lot. And I think, I, you know, I've muted a lot of them, but there was one point in time, probably at the start of the pandemic, um, probably from after I had my first um, kids to the start of the, of the pandemic, where I was a part of all these groups. I, It was the birth group it was the woke you know moms of color group it was the extended breastfeeding group all of these groups you know were my so are my social identity in some form or another and all of these groups in them have definitely influenced my purchasing decisions the things that i choose to buy and it's just as i kept reading through the article i kept thinking about oh yeah lula Rowe someone tried to sell me that once <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> like all of these things oh yeah the best sippy cup you know um and whatnot but we have lj here hi lj
1: <laughs> what's up what's up my man lj what's up
3: hey how you guys doing doing great
1: <laughs> fantastic yeah.
3: dude yep uh yeah i actually you know with those facebook groups um if people aren't aware they uh they the engagement on facebook people like kind of posting has really gone down and so facebook was looking for ways to um increase a reason to reach out to you right to continue to ping you on things and if you've noticed it's it's very difficult to to stop the unnecessary notifications that they're sending people you know what i'm saying does that make sense
1: Uh, mm -hmm. is is, are you referring to the group notification bro
3: yeah because um like if your friends and family are not posting as often then what they were doing was they want to get people involved they really were pushing hard for these groups to increase the engagement. And so even if you've noticed and I've noticed this personally, I don't know about how your algorithms are working, but the, um, the groups will say, Hey, so and so posted this in your group, which is a person that you've never communicated with, you don't know, you don't have any interest in knowing about that post. (laughs) And so, um, or maybe you do, right? And so they are they're hoping that that's the case, right? Because they know that people uh were influenced by their friends hey so-and-so recommended this book right um and i think that's one of the reasons because they have kind of inundated us with these unnecessary interruptions a lot of people are gravitating away from the platform because it's it's losing its its purpose right you would check into facebook to check in your friends and family see what's going on and then because they they, they were just they're very frantic about how to monetize it um that's very. That, that, I, mean, I don't know. For, for me, it's it's very interesting. I actually have to go in and constantly uh, leave groups that I'm not that I'm not really um, engaged in. And then from a creative perspective, um, if you look at some of the most creative people, you look at you like you know you, you look at Prince or these kind of people. They don't really engage with a lot of exterior um, stimuli because it, 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 it actually can stunt the creative um, process. And so like even with this platform, I'm very cautious about like going into other rooms that don't really resonate with what I have going on for the simple fact that I'm just boosting somebody else's ego. So anyhow, those are my thoughts.
4: Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still a part of these groups. I've ended up like muting myself on a lot of them. And You're probably going to end up leaving kinda...
3: a lot of them. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, a
4: <laughs> hundred is a lot. A hundred is a lot, but I think especially, um, you know, I my social identity is a stay-at-home mom, um, and um, that's one of my social identities, and um, that's a that's a big target audience. I feel like in the U.S. Um, for all the things that we need um, in our lives, but yeah.
3: Nice. What do what do stay at home moms believe? What, like, what are their core values?
4: <laughs> I could like this could be a room in its own. Um, I think it's it it can be divided, you know. And I think the article talks also about how your social identity can change. Um, and we, I can't say what other moms believe in, but there's the gentle parenting. There's the natural birth community. There's the allergy, you know, advocates moms. There's the baby wearing, like it can go on and on. And I think that's why I'm a part of so many, um, you know, it's because throughout my, the, the growth of my children who are now three and seven, you know, it has adapted and it has changed. You know, I'm no longer breastfeeding, you know, but now, you know, I'm concerned about issues with like autism. So I'm in the autism moms group. Um, so it's 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 something that, you know, market researchers have been looking at um, ways in which, you know, you identify a group, you identify a group of people, whether it's, you know, you know, moms or whether it's people who are, you know, automobile, you know, fanatics, um, you identify that group, and you make them feel a part of that group. And then that's how you're able to sell to them. So
1: yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. That is absolutely right. Social identities, and I'm just going through skimming through some of, some of the things uh, the authors have actually spoken in this article. It states, social identities are important for marketers uh, because they guide pe- uh, people's behavior at any given moment. Some behaviors will bolster and support the group and equally important and some behaviours will betray the group. So it's no coincidence that people in the same profession, uh, for example successful athletes or say a chief executive officer, tend to buy similar cars and read similar magazines. So when it comes to a purchase, a group you identify with at the time of your transaction is a very important factor in your decision. And I think marketers do really understand it and as you correctly said, Della, marketers can influence influence you to switch as well. So, uh, you know, we can influence you to go to a different social identity if uh, if you put people into that position. Uh, one of the uh, really like examples uh, which I went through the article which I really liked is about the Jeep owners. Uh, I'm sure you, you also read it, right Della? So with Jeep owners, so they had a major problem that Jeep Jeep owners tend to go off-roading, and they used to kind of you know disrupt the whole uh, nature and uh, the whole ecosystem uh, with the whole thing of you know doing off-roading. So th- the company had to had to actually intervene because you know they don't want uh, you know bad PR uh, with you know people with these big Jeeps and big uh, rubber tires you know going and damaging the environment and the ecosystem around. So what they did is that they started uh, educating people how to do off-roading uh, without affecting the environment or leaving a very, very minimal impact on it. So. So if you skim through the article there are a lot of examples not only about Jeep it also speaks about uh, you know people who put solar panels on top of their houses so what happens is that when you put solar panels on top of your houses and when somebody sees it they automatically feel that you know we should also have solar panels you know they want to have that association connection. Uh, Many other examples of Toyota hybrid cars it speaks about Unilever uh facing a challenge uh, with one of their products and how they tried resolving it nescafe is also another nice example on the article so i just wanted to share that so so Della, you know just just skim us through more and tell us what what else did you learn from the article
4: sure yeah i want to add just that whole example of like your neighbors um and you know oftentimes you know i live in the suburbs um in the u.s and oftentimes somebody will come to my door. They'll knock on my door in the middle of the day, and they'll say, "Hey, I'm with this window company, and you know your neighbor down the block. He just got new windows, and I thought maybe you would like us to come and do a free estimate." All the time that happens to me, <laughs> all the time. And then you know, also another thing with like your neighbors is, you know, my I have a I have a, a grumpy old neighbor who lives next door to me, and um, he said to me. And just to me not my husband he said to me oh you know your your neighbor your your lawn's getting kind of um you know your, your grass is growing kind of high it's going to bring down the property value and it ticked me off i was mad about it but at the same time i was just like oh well now i have to make sure that we that i'm mowing the lawn <laughs> because deep in my mind i'm like well that's you know what what you know that influence was there i i as a part of the neighborhood don't want to be seen as the one bringing down the property values, but um, yeah, so that's true. Yeah, we talked about you know uh, how companies like Jeep can create um, you know new identities. So, and then um, what else did we talk? I also wanted to bring up the example in Italy um, and how you have to oh have the to- axe one. Yeah, <laughs> the axe the one. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. So the researchers, they you have to follow the customer journey over time um, to see how people identify at different times because it does change. And there was there was the male body spray, right? And um, the way that they had advertised it was, you know, imagine ads and going to nightclubs and being sprayed beautiful women at nightclubs, right? And then they played that around the world. And there was one, and they usually I think they played it around the evening time. And there was one place where that did not do well, and that was in Italy. And the reason why it did not do well in Italy was because in the evening time, a lot of the young, you know, eligible bachelors live at home with their moms and their grandmas, you know, and their family. So when that comes on, you know, they're they're not, you know, this eligible bachelor, you know, looking, you know, going out on the prowl. They are, you know, the diligent son. Um, So, you know, people's identities, you know, it it changes um, who you identify with. So those are things that, you know, the companies wanted to be aware of. Um, So, yeah,
1: Um, I I think it's a lovely example. And I really like the way how they tried solving that problem, uh, you know, by just changing the whole narrative. So I, I really like that the way how they handled it, and what I really feel, Della and LJ, and I'm sure you guys would agree with me, that you know we all have our personality, our interests, and our identities associated to us, and we we feel very connected to those identities based on our belief system and values which we have as individuals, right? And uh, we want to ensure that you know we live uh, within those identities so business owners uh, you know when when they try solving a market problem it's it's crucial that you identify which clients will fall under uh, you know your offering so it's important that you know you identify your ideal audience and try to speak that exact same language to them Uh, so that it makes sense to those individuals because if those individuals understand what you're trying to sell it's easy to market to them it's easy to upsell this is the reason I I suggest you know if you don't have a common product and when I say a common product for an example let's say a stapler uh, or a sketch pen Okay. It is a very generic product. You don't need an ideal audience uh, you know, for marketing it. I'm just saying you know, so that you, know, you get the premise of what I'm trying to communicate. Let's say a magnifying glass. It, it doesn't have to uh, you know, have a different sort of positioning to market itself. So for these products, you don't need to differentiate. You don't need to have an ideal client. You don't need to find your niche okay it's just the product just put it out there and people who are interested uh, will buy it is actually targeted to a, a mass audience and 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 if you have invested your time resources and energy uh, to to stand out to solve a specific problem then then you definitely need to know who you who are the people who you offer that solution too and this is the reason why i recommend you know niching down so and we had a conversation and i had personally a conversation with lj about you know this another article which is which we stumbled upon so that's something which i wanted to share i wanted to welcome darren uh, who darren who i see down in the audience uh, you are free to come up i have sent you an invite uh, or else you can just listen in and 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 you can use a chat and put share some of your thoughts uh, what do you think while you go through the article? Yes, Dela is there is there anything LJ you would like to add?
4: Yeah the, the one last thing I think I want to add that the article posted was how in their studies they found it easy and fast to create a social identity. It's It was really easy for them to do that because people are very um, they're very susceptible to influence. they want to belong um, to something. They want to belong to a group. Um, so, in their studies, they like said it took about twenty minutes for people who came together and didn't have any sort of you know connection um, or social, you know, any sort of connection to just be like, oh, okay, yeah, now I'm a part of the creative group. <laughs> you know now i'm a, I'm part I'm a part of this group of socially, you know, um, responsible and eco-conscious, eco-friendly group. So I thought that was another interesting um,
3: point that they that they uh, made. Hmm. Uh, yes yes lj yeah i actually uh, if you i mean you can finish your thought but i actually kind of wanted to for the sake of the listeners just re- uh recite the uh the summary section of the article for those that aren't going to have time to kind of review the whole entire article
1: yeah love that and uh, yeah or else you can just listen to what we are trying to say we're just also trying to cover it up But yeah, it it is a big article, uh, and uh, and if you print it out, it's going to be long. So, so yeah, so I. But I really like the article, and I I wanted to actually give you guys an example so that you know you have a premise. I want to because the Nescafe one really stood out for me so so i'm just going to read through what it is written here it states nescafe discovered uh, this early on in early on in their launch that the first instant coffee in the 1950s the product was initially positioned as a time saver no longer uh, would you have to spend more than 10 minutes brewing a pot of coffee so, if you, if you look at the way how they positioned, they were like, you know, make it quick, you know, we would be happy to offer you an instant coffee. So that's the direction they had to differentiate themselves uh, in the market. So, so, it did not actually catch on. The reason being, it turned out uh, was that saving time and efforts in this way clashed with the identity of the woman uh, during that time. Because who during that decade, uh, they felt pres- pressured to be a perfect homemaker hard-working husbands that that was the identity during that time so social uh, the social identity was not relatable so the, the company's positioning and the identity of the woman during that time it was not really matching on if, if, if you understand what I'm what I'm trying to say so the company changed its approach because they realized uh, that's not really working out so instead of claiming uh, the new product to reduce time it took uh, it took to make your husband uh, okay it, uh, so they p- instead of claiming the new product would reduce the time it took t- to make your husband coffee, the ad suggested it would help you to serve him a better coffee and leave you extra time to do more with him. So dated and offensive as this as sounds today, but the reframing uh, which they did, repositioning which they did, uh, tripled their sales and, and increases by... 12-folds in the mid-1970s. So so the positioning which they changed, if you look at this example, they simply said uh, that, you know, we, you know, the, the coffee, you're gonna be able to make an excellent coffee. And even today, if you look at some of the Nescafe ads, right now also they kind of say the same thing like you know a better experience a rich coffee experience plus it is also quick so I don't think they have really shifted from that positioning even today they kind of do the same thing maybe the advertisement campaigns may have changed over a period of time so I wanted to get uh, Della's perspective and LJ's perspective on this example which I shared
4: yes you know um, I just I feel when I hear that I just feel like I feel like women. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like we we struggle um, in terms of just the pressures that are put on us. But um, yeah, the whole idea of how we want to be seen and how who and how we you know how we want to be seen. Um, I actually wouldn't mind if LJ would go ahead if he wants to just read the summary part. That would be actually really helpful. But it's, you know, the, the one last thing I'll say on, on the Nest Cafe, you know, um, the whole idea of, you know, oh, no, the co- you know, I've had an SK coffee. It's not great, but <laughs> in my opinion, but, um, you know, I prefer a real cup, but um, it's the whole idea of how we are seen, how we want people to see us, you know, how we identify ourselves um, amongst the group. You know, I don't want to be seen as that kind of housewife. I want to be seen as this kind of housewife, and how this kind of idea, even from you know, what was it, the fifties, that they're talking about, has permeated today. But yeah, Jason, I don't know if you don't mind. I would love to hear. I would love LJ if he if he wants to read the summary. That's okay. As like a yeah. recap.
3: Yeah. Well, because. Um... Usually what happens is a lot of times people will listen to our kind of recapping and, 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 and there are there are a segment of the audience that are not going to read the entire article. And, you know, we're kind of aware of that. But I also wanted to say this, you know, this is this is, the I think, the debate that Jason and I were having about niching down. If you look at coffee or instant coffee is a great example, right? Uh, there's there's you got a product. It's a it's a commodity instant coffee, right? Um, if you niche down which most companies you know most of the advice on here it says to do what i'm what I'm trying to what i what i would say is you have to have a product and you have to put marketing that niches down for the client so for example with Instant coffee if you for me for example right i travel a lot um i actually and say you're staying at a hotel or you're you're on the road and you know you got no time to prepare anything. Having a glass of instant coffee is going to keep you from you could you could you could cater to that person's um, uh, I don't know, like uh, emotion saying, hey, a cup of coffee keeps you from, you know, getting into an argument or something like that, right? So you you would you would definitely market that to me saying, hey, you want to maintain a level head in the field, instant coffee, right? Like that's how you would market that. Now, like you, like you were saying earlier, Jason. On the flip side, it's like coffee on the go. And if you're marketing to a 1950s woman that that has social, certain social pressures, whether or not we agree with how how those pressures were were put on women, those were there, right? And as a marketer, as an advertiser, these guys would be idiots not to actually tap into those social, um, uh, you know, um, I guess you would say taboos now. But th- those 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 idiosyncrasies how people think. So the way that they marketed to that woman was unfortunately very, very smart. Hey, if you wanna spend more time with your husband, which honestly, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if that's a bad thing, right? Spending more time with your family, spend more time like getting out the kitchen and spending more time with your family. like You could even market that today and depending on how you phrase it, it, it could still be uh, relevant, right? And so you can even target women that, uh uh disagree with how things were back then so it just depends but you you can have different messaging for different people and i think when you're looking at the marketing uh you have to look at the person what do they believe what their ideology behind it and then and then try to form a message that that kind of aligns with that that person and where they're at and how they're going to grow but yeah i I can briefly um for those of you guys just joining uh kind of read over the summary of the article so uh this is just a, a quick summary. So, so I, I, I might not read the whole summary, but I'll at least read the first couple of paragraphs. People are highly social animals. Most of us belong to many social groups, each with its own identity. These identities guide our actions, but they shift from moment to moment. I was just talking about that, right? Um, that has uh, important implications for marketers. Someone who says encounters a brand of cologne will have, uh, one response to it when he sees himself as a dutiful son, and the other, they were talking about this earlier, so basically if the identity of the, uh, <laughs> for example, right, if you marketed that, I was just talking about Axe Cologne, by the way, uh, and have you marketed it to somebody like me that wants to go out and meet girls when I was younger, when I was like, you know, in my early 20s, I bought that, that, that shitty cologne. It was terrible, but it was well marketed, right? But then in other cultures, it's not, it's not, um, it's not uh relevant to them um uh, and then also it says here uh ba-ba-ba-ba. so the first step is to focus on your customer's social uh self and surface and and, and arrange for their possible possible identities So kind of figuring out where they think how do they think and then market position your marketing for that person so i'm not gonna read the whole summary but uh i did want to kind of like go over that real quick jason
1: Thank you for that, LJ. Yes, according to me, and and while we go through the article, yes, social identities play a huge influence in terms of how you position your product and how you market it to your audience. I want to welcome Richard to the stage. Welcome. uh, Richard, how are you? And uh, is there anything you like to contribute to our conversation?
2: Hi, yeah, thanks. It's just really interesting discussion, just listening to to LJ there and and there's a question that came to my mind and I used to work for a very large UK retailer and we brought in a political strategist a really interesting person um, that done political strategy for Bill Clinton and helped get him elected in the 90s And, and we employed him just to get insights into our consumers for exactly this, why social identity matters. And then by understanding that, it can help you with your marketing. My question is for everybody here, I think there seems to be a real interesting shift in politics at the moment. We saw Trump in, Trumpism in the US, we've seen Brexit in the UK, we've seen the Hungarian uh, right wing prime minister get in or president, uh, and obviously you've got Le Pen in France. How much do you think politics plays an identification role? Uh, And something for marketeers to be aware of. Because obviously with Colin Kaspernick in the States, that really divided people on Knight's campaign. And I'm just wondering, as brands and marketeers become the moral guardians, are they going to have to be more involved in politics than ever before?
3: Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Right now I'm looking at a box of America's Coffee, Black Rifle Coffee Company, complete mission fuel kit. You know, it's just like, what are they marketing to you look at the fucking the image here it has uh american soldiers american flag you know it's got it's got guns on it you know i mean come on right they're 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 definitely have a a political stance right and so is that right or wrong i think it's brilliant marketing i think it's brilliant marketing you open it up it's like a fuel pack you open it up it's got like all these guns on different you know it's just they're marketing to a demographic of people with, people with a certain ideology you're not going to see black rifle coffee and certain left-leaning liberal households does that make sense that's what i'm trying to say oh so, no com- completely i mean i think it's
2: really interesting i mean obviously the uk we, we we've done brexit which you know let's not get into a debate on that but it you know reality is it's the biggest act of self-harm my country's ever done um, but I think what's really interesting when you go into the local supermarkets, I, I went into a, um, like a hardware store today, it's covered in Union Jack Bunting. And, and I think what's really interesting is that political zeitgeist, that relevancy, whether it's the coffee that you're talking about, or whether it is like the hardware store being covered in, in Union Jack flags. I think it's really interesting that you know, politics and social identity seems to be becoming more and more um, visible. I think it's really interesting especially in the states where there's this kind of debate between democrats republicans woke conservative and these words that people identify themselves with and i think the rise of tribalism is really interesting as a social identity and as marketeers we need to be aware
3: of it whatever our political opinions dude great question because you know what's so funny is that we tend and i was actually telling jason this is that we like to have these these conversations about these things not from a political standpoint because we can't sit around with our heads in the sand uh and make these taboos like there was um like if i took this bright this black rifle coffee to a certain demographic of people they would instantly be like oh i know what these people are up to right um and so i i just look at that like literally it has guns on the uh (laughs) pictures of guns on the packaging right so it's just kind of funny um one of my, uh, and guess who bought it for us? The guys in the military, right? He bought it for me and my fiance because we're both service members. But I'm not your typical service member, right? I don't really, uh, you know, I'm not like America. Hell yeah, you know, everything we do is great. I'm not that guy at all. I'm very, I'm very, uh, quite the opposite. You went very
2: Team America World Police there. is
4: <laughs> LJ, I want to pipe in. I'm so, I was so eager to speak. Um, <laughs> the article touches upon this point. And um, in the article, it Talks about how depending on your, they did like a study, and it and it looked at um, a soccer team in the U.K. and I'm not really good with sports, but it was like fans for like Manchester and then fans for the Manchester team. United. Yeah, <laughs> nah, come
2: on, the Arsenal.
4: So yeah, so and it was they looked at the fans and they they had somebody fall like a a, a stuntman fall down a flight of stairs, and he was wearing like, you know, um, a Manchester t-shirt, or they had someone fall on the stairs also who was wearing a blank t-shirt. And the people who were a part of that same team were more likely to come and help them and see if they were okay. Um, as opposed to the fact that, you know, if you're wearing the opposing team, you were less likely to help them. Isn't that something that I I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And it it just kind of reminds me of my experiences in mom groups on Facebook, which is one of the most, it can be uh, at a certain point, especially around the past-
2: Oh, good luck with that. (laughs) two
4: elections. I joined groups, I left groups. I joined groups, I left groups, you know, based on what I was seeing in, you know, like the political rhetoric. Um, so people want to buy from the people who they identify with. And if there's something about your politics, if there's something about your your choice of sport team that you know doesn't resonate, oh, I'm
3: not buying from you. which is that a bad thing? Because if you think about it from a marketing perspective, I was doing some research, and I actually, even on Clubhouse, there's a lot of people that give advice about this or that and da 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 da. But they have no perspective, and I and I believe this is my belief that by adding in your perspective, what you're doing is you're is you're you are segmenting the, the market, but you're already talking to your people, and so I think that that is a, a, a form of quote unquote niching down, but not demographically, but more socio, uh, um, psych, uh, like 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 their their, their, their psychology.
0: This is Adele. I love this conversation. I'm so happy I found this room because it's something that I've noticed among the marketing community. It's almost like people are wanting it both ways. (laughs) You've got one group that's saying on Clubhouse, be yourself, be authentic, take a stand for what you believe in because people wanna know who you really are. And then there's the other group that says, no, you know, don't reveal. And what I notice is for me, when people hide you know when something really big happens i i noticed at least in my industry in the coaching industry there was this deafening silence of people afraid to say too much one way or the other because they didn't want to offend they didn't want to hurt their brand i mean it was obvious you don't want to say one way or the other when something huge happens whether it's you know what happened with george floyd or trump or whatever you're so scared of of hurting your brand, I lose respect for that. You know, especially if you're in the marketing, you're trying to tell people to be themselves, but at the same time, oh, well, not so much because then you lose business. Well, which is it? And but I've, I I've think, noticed the schiz- I Yeah, dealt.
2: I think what you're saying is spot on, but I think the reality of it is that marketeers never had this issue 20 years ago. And I think what's so true is
3: so true. that
2: marketeers now, are the moral guardians? You know, they are the moral guardians because you know, in the UK, we have a deep mistrust of our politicians. Well, they all went drinking when they banned everybody else from going out. Same here. Lockdowns. Same here. We have a we have a we have a distrust of our politicians. Let's not even go there. You know, and and and, and for me, marketeers have become the new moral guardians. And I think whereas somebody at um, Coca Cola twenty years ago. Would never have had to worry about withdrawing their product from Russia as an order not to offend people. Now they have to, and I think it's really interesting what you're saying. For me, it's almost understanding that that wasn't the issue 20 years ago; It's certainly yeah. is now.
0: I agree, but I just and I notice who's speaking this way. Like when I look out into the coaching world at biz coaches, what I notice is there's one rhetoric for the clients: be yourself take a stand but you'll notice a lot of the top uh, business coaches in social media or whatever they're conspicuously bland themselves so it's almost like do as I say not do as I do I'm more interested in signing people up than letting you know who I am but I want you to be your authentic self and it's just (laughs) it's very funny you know (laughs) know
2: I find for me, one of my favorite things on Clubhouse is when somebody says that they're authentic, because if somebody calls oh my themselves God, authentic, I'm so sick that's of that like word. me saying that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's like me saying, you know what, guys, I'm really cool. It's like, uh, no. And I think there's something where there is that balance between telling people, <laughs> those that do, they call it in motorbike racing, talkers and doers. And I think the reality is the people that say, you need to be authentic, you need to stand for something, yeah, fine but for me i like people with style and substance i like people that can talk and i like people that can do and i think that that combination of the two i think is is for me where i sit on the, on these subjects you know i've right. i've had to learn about some really complex subjects in my personal life the last 12 months and i 100% stand by those and i have my my own personal ethics i think what's so interesting is there's lots of people on clubhouse saying you need to be multicolored, you need to be multifaceted, you need to stand for something. Reality is, those people, Adele, that you were just talking about, they're the most vanilla people of all. They are the most vanilla people of all <laughs> because they're worried about Vanilla people. Good. Well, reality oh, is, Jason, yeah, vanilla it's is a great flavor of ice cream. It's a wonderful <laughs> flavor for cake. This it's not from a political standpoint. Hey, real quick. Well, what I
0: find interesting is if, if people are, you know, espousing let's say, oh, uh, I don't know, uh, diversity or inclusion, take a look at their followers on Facebook. It's pretty clear, you know, what what is so it's it's just very interesting, do as I say, not do as I do. And, you know, if we really are the moral guardians, I trust people less, when they hide versus if they come right out and say something that I don't, I don't agree with, There's a, there's a certain trust in that, like, I can rest, knowing that you're over there. And I'm over here. And there's no there's there's not this funny feeling in my body i just know oh i probably won't buy you know whether that's brand of coffee or whatever and i'm totally fine it's when people try to hide that's what makes me uncomfortable anyway some, i'll end my plane here i
3: got some pushback for you though Adele, because here's the thing right um i had a i had a conversation um because there because I'm, I'm on both sides of this right um if people for example right i i travel a lot with the military i do certain things that I don't really you know i I can't even talk about right because i'm you know it's, it's just the nature of the beast but so people will ask me my my views on things and i say listen publicly i have no comment on this particular situation because financially it would ruin me if i if i went out and gave my perspective on this or that or the third however i'm not afraid to give you my perspective because here's the thing, I have to be very careful with people when they like, what, what like the rhetoric that you just said, I've heard before. But what I find is that sometimes, and this is not you, but I find that sometimes people try to leverage me, and I even said like, don't use my name or likeness to promote whatever your narrative is, right? So a lot of times I tell people like, if you if you really if what I have to say on this topic, if you are just chomping at the bit to hear L.J.'s perspective, if it's really that important, then we could have a we could have a drink, we could have a cup of coffee, and I could we could shoot the shit about that, right? But publicly, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out there publicly. And that was the thing that has really been driving me crazy because I feel like society has this twisted view where everything that you think, everything that you feel, should be up for public debate. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I feel I feel pity for Will Smith and his family because they're under the microscope. And then it feels like to me that in that situation, they're putting out a lot of information that really is nobody's fucking business. But because of the, the way that things are, are being ran right now and what people think, it, it, it it's like, oh, this is open for public debate. Some things are just not open, in my opinion, are just not open mm-hmm. for public debate. It's between but me I, and my I family. We've had, but I think we've had black and white thinking for too
2: long. There's a really good film um, called The Social Dilemma and there's a, there's a speaker on there called Tristan Harris. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. And he's saying that as a society, we're becoming more and more polarized. I You're a Republican or you're a Democrat, you're either left or right. And I think there's a little bit where, you know, we look for blame or fault or whatever it is, um, that tribe mentality where actually you can be a little bit of both. You know, you can be a little bit of both. You can look at Will Smith and go, You know what, he was right to defend his wife, but he was wrong to hit the guy. You know, and I think, but but you hear debate, whether it's on Clubhouse, in the media or on social media, where you have to sit in one of these two camps. And I think what where it becomes really interesting for marketeers is can you be both without offending everybody? It's a question I don't know the answer to. I know my own personal opinions You know i i believe in a free market i believe in a free economy but i also think you know we need to look after the environment so what political camp does that put me in it puts me in no political camp at all but i think the point i'm making is you can be black and white at the same time whereas society at the moment is becoming more and more polarized which is where i think it's fascinating for marketeers as people move into these tribes and i love the example of the person in the manchester united shirt who sort of fell down the stairs? Oh, shame it wasn't a Tottenham fan, but you know <laughs> that, 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 that's my club's enemy. But but reality is we've become tribalised, and I think it's it's really interesting because you know this has happened before, and it's never ended well.
1: <laughs> thank you for the really Adele, give me a second let me say okay. hi to Darren and okay. America super thank you so much guys for patiently waiting Darren what brings you to the room and I know you've been you know listening to our conversation for quite some time is there anything you'd like to contribute uh, to our discussion today
5: Cracky. well you guys have covered quite a few interesting things um, I I I haven't had a chance to check the particular article, but just the subject of the room really, why your customer social identities matter, and I've got my own opinion on this. If you like, um, in in the field of uh, so I'm I'm a psychologist. I'm an academic uh, research psychologist, and in in the field of psychology and social psychology, the, there's there's um, quite a lot of research that goes into uh, things like you know your your social identity. And in, in argument, I mind. You're breaking up,
3: Darren.
1: We can't hear you, bro.
3: Better?
5: Is that better? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Basically, somebody's social identity. Uh, if somebody's got a, if somebody has a social identity it means that there are things that matter to them there's words that matter to them there's uh, artifacts uh, icons images that matter to them there's uh, uh, certain beliefs that matter to them certain bits of history that matter to them and if you're in the business of marketing and well if you're in any kind of business and and, and you understand the importance of marketing the moment that you can identify somebody's social identity and you can identify what icons matter to them, what brands matter to them, what behaviours matter to them, what beliefs matter to them. Then you are in a, a, a very advanced position as a marketer, because then all you've got to do with your marketing is create uh, um, content that that taps into those things that that matter to the to to, to the customer who has that social um, identity. And if they then look at you as a member of whatever it is that is important to them in terms of their social identity, then they will look on your brand as something that needs to come into that framework of whatever it is their social identity um, is. And and the languaging that you can use in order to slip in there, um, into their mindsets, it just gives you, again, it just gives you a massive advantage in, in your branding. Um, that's, that's my immediate thoughts off the top of my head. But wait a minute, oh, Darren, yeah, do,
2: you, get... do you think it's really tricky though for a brand like Nike yeah. that, you know, in my opinion, I'm going to put myself at the right thing. Sport, and I think what they did with Colin Kaspernek was, you know, I thought it was not only genius marketing, but I thought it put Knight's kind of um, flag in the ground and went, you know what, this is wrong. And this is what we believe. People burnt Nike shirts on YouTube, people burnt Nike products. And, and I get what you're saying that you need to tap into that zeitgeist and and from a marketing perspective, you're absolutely right. And I've I've worked on brands where we've looked at who the customer is and we've built iconography to absolutely tap into that. That was 10 years ago. I feel that now as a marketeer, if you're Nike, you're kind of in a really difficult position um, because you're going to piss off a lot of people by standing for something, even if standing for that thing, in my opinion, was correct. Do you
5: see what I mean? Definitely. Uh, um, I'll just, I'll just finish off. The, I'll just respond to you, and then I'll shut up. Um, no, no, but no, no look need at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, ILJ, Lovely to see you, bro. Um, look, and then uh, at the end of the day, Nike is in a relationship with its with with well billions probably billions of people maybe just many millions but nike is in a relationship with 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 the world with its customers with god knows how many people and they're going just like any relationship they're going to make mistakes and or they're going to do things that are going to piss off a lot of people and as with any relationships you know, you can fix relationships. You can change relationships. Relationships can change and form over time. And whoever the geniuses are behind Nike and many other really cool brands, they just understand this. It's just like a relationship. Yeah, maybe your customers might be annoyed that you did a particular thing, but later on, you just patch over the relationship and sort it out. Bring out a new lovely pair of trainers, and everyone to go potty again. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just relationships, isn't it? Like, I, I hope that makes sense. But yeah, makes I'm gonna do a, lot a quick of sense,
3: I'm gonna do a quick room reset, and, and I, I hate to interrupt the conversation because I, I like to uh, let people just kind of have a flow of consciousness. Uh, Jason just texted me and said he's having um, some technical difficulties on his end, so he'll be with us shortly. You are in brand identity design today. We're uh, we're joined by Jason and uh, Dilla Martin, and we're talking about we're having an open discussion about the article above. Uh, the form the format of this room is is uh, basically if you want to kind of thumb through the article and kind of share your thoughts fantastic or you could just enjoy the conversation uh we're covering how companies can subtly influence which social identity customers will tap into and can even foster new identities altogether with very little effort through um certain techniques and and tools as if, as it relates to marketing and I actually uh I'm happy that Darren is here because he mentioned uh his background in uh, yeah he works in NLP and there's actually a lot to do with uh, like words and language patterning, and the type of ways you speak to your clients. I, I remember he and I had a conversation about, uh, for example, right? If you're talking to somebody that's maybe lower income, and you have a product, you may talk about the benefits of saving and and, and things like that, or or or, or how or how cheap it is. But that kind of language for somebody that's you know probably more well off will make will is just a terrible marketing message. And maybe I'm kind of butchering that point you made. This is a while ago, Darren, could you kind of speak to that? Is that
5: enough of a uh, kind of an introduction to what you were talking about last time we spoke? Okay. If I'm honest, I can't, I, can't, I can't remember the exact conversation. But yeah, definitely, it's about, it's about framing um, uh, exactly what you said there. I, I'll give you a, a real-life example. Here in, here in the UK, um, we've got the, the, nas- the National Health Service, um, which is mainly aimed at and target, targeted at poor people that cannot afford their own um, private so health. this
3: is exactly what you were talking about. Dude. You
5: talking about uh, yeah, <laughs> I've spoken about this for a while. So, um, so yeah, the, the National Health service, service, service they target poor people that, that can't afford their own pro- private um, health care. When you talk, again, lots of psychological research has gone into this. Um, so it sounds mad, but I, I, again, I only learned about this stuff while I was on uh, um, studying psychology. And when you're talking to poor people, you need um, the, the assumption is when you're writing, is that you've got to, when you're doing copyright, is you've got to frame things in terms of short term benefits because poor, poorer people are more likely to care about short term stuff, short term interests, Whereas, versus if you're talking to people of a, a higher net worth or higher social status, then they're more likely to be thinking about their future, their kids' future, their grandkids' future. So the framing of your language has got to be completely, completely different. Now, so if somebody's socially, ident- if somebody's got a social identity of I'm a poor person or I'm a working class person, then, yeah, the language is going to be different versus, you know, what I mean, poorer people are thinking about maybe um, they're not thinking about savings. They're thinking about investments. They're thinking about the health of their family and keeping their family together. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, thanks for jogging my memory on that one. But, yeah, don't Darren,
2: speak. we, we use that at... Um, we talked about, I was talking earlier about, I used to work at Sainsbury's and their marketing team, and we did some research, it was 2004, 2005, around, and this is when we used the guy that got Bill Clinton elected. And what he did is he did this research and there was a, a theory from, or came back from the research that people in the UK didn't feel that they were safe, yet crime had never been lower violent crime had never been less food safety was at its highest ever point. You know, we were prosperous as a nation, etc., etc. But the research said something completely different. So we completely and utterly changed the brand platform to healthy, tasty, fresh. And the idea of that was exactly what you're talking about. The words that people can connect with. And it was absolutely giving people that sense of security. And then as such, we placed adverts in the Daily Mail and, and certain other newspapers to, to tap into that target consumer. But it was all about changing the language of the brand to reflect back that they were safe in our hands. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating what you just said. Uh,
4: um, language is important. Um, I think, you know, I am at the beginning stages of starting my business, so when I hear you guys talk, I'm just kind of like learning. And I, you know, when I read this article, I kind of came at it from like the the consumer's perspective, the one that hears like all of the messages and is like, "Oh, I want to buy that. <laughs> I want to belong to this. I want to be like that." Um, so it's very interesting to hear that. You know,
3: there's an um, there's an author you guys might want to check out that I uh, I really got into, uh, Jay Abraham. And the reason why I did that was because I come from a financial services background. I even sold fucking Amway back in the back, back in the day with my grandmother. Right. And, um, but what, and, 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 but in financial services and in those MLM companies and whatever, they all look the same, talk the same and do the same things. And, uh, what Jay Abraham was saying was that you kind of want to look at different, uh, industries and see what they're doing. So, um, everything's a learning experience. I even, when I started looking at that, Say so you're driving on the, you're driving down the street and you see a billboard. If that billboard gets your attention, write that billboard down, take a picture of it, and figure out how you can implement that in your marketing, your messaging. And he kind of gave these examples. And uh, one of the examples he gave, I'll give you guys an example from one of his books, is he had this dentist that was like the top dentist in the area. And uh in the in, in the analogy, when you'd go to his dental office, we've all been to dentist, right? Uh picture going into a dental office. And you go to the door and the door is locked. And it says by appointment only. You can't even get in, right? That's that, that's different. So you schedule an appointment. Oh, no, no by, by by invite only. So you're like, what the hell? So you can't even get in. Um, and so that was the one thing that he changed. He said uh, he would find clients that were his target market. And they had to give him two references of somebody that was like them. And then when you finally got in the place, you, uh, you would sit in there. And it looked like a coffee shop. And you'd sit down, they'd sit you at a table, and your dentist would come over and have a cup of coffee with you and ask you questions about your teeth and what you're going on. And the reason why he brought that analogy up was because this dentist was like no other dentist anybody had ever been to. And he catered to a very high identity, high, high, uh, high net worth clientele. And so that's why he was so successful, because he, he created this, this huge, uh, like, difference in, in, in his marketing and his messaging. And, um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of share that with you guys because I was thinking about that. It sounds like Clubhouse
1: (laughs) when it first began. <laughs> right um, I want to but, that's uh, I, I want to un- I go ahead, okay I, I wanted to actually welcome America Super Mom and Michelle uh, to the stage. Thank you so much guys for patiently waiting. I'm sorry I had a little challenge my there was my neighbor who was screaming for some reason not to me but somebody else and I had to fix that so so welcome guys welcome America Super Mom is there anything you like to contribute to our conversation with today about social identities?
6: I am really just enjoying the conversation. I'm outside uh, doing my walk right now, but, um, you know, it's just uh, interesting interesting dialogue, you know, so many uh, points that were mentioned are so true. You know, uh, I always take the position of looking at something and uh, examining what can I learn from this? What does this say about me? as a person how can i uh implement some of the things that are good change some of the things that are bad so um i am just really in
2: listening mode lots to take in so thanks for (laughs) having me no worries can i just tap into that jason absolutely i think what what's really nice about what you just said is when i i used to work with a brilliant creative director And he said, when you walk around somewhere, if you walk around with your eyes open, you see so much more. And one of the things I love to do is benchmark. And how can you take something that's in the drinks industry and move it into the luxury industry? Or how can you do something in the finance industry that works really well, that you could bring into general retail? And I think there's something really fascinating about what is going on and what can you benchmark and what can you learn from it? And one of my favorite examples was somebody who was talking about billboards. A few years ago, I was in Tennessee, driving to uh, a meeting down there. And I drove down the freeway, and there was a giant billboard with Jesus with his arms outstretched saying, I'll be back. And I took a picture of it, it just made me chuckle. And I just thought, it was for a church. I've never ever seen, like in the UK, we don't really kind of have churches advertised like that. But what was so interesting was the humour, the location, and you start thinking about it and you start thinking to say, okay, how can I do that for marketing? How can I do a billboard that makes people stop and take notice? Because it's the juxtaposition of it. I think it's really interesting when you have that mindset and linking it back to the subject that we're talking about today, when you notice certain tribes behaving in a certain way, how can you tap into that? And I think it was really interesting. Somebody said that they're on Facebook on Mum's groups. My gosh, they're some of the most opinionated people in the world. And what's really interesting is you see their behavior on that, and you see the things that they post and then you think to yourself, okay, why is that? What is it going on with that tribe and how do I communicate with them? And I think it's a really great way of learning and developing your marketing, absolutely free of charge.
0: I had a thought, just curious, do you think any of this depends on the actual type of product or service? So for example, if I'm a steel company, and I make ball bearings or hammers, um, maybe it doesn't matter as much what whether I'm selling to moms or I I don't know. But if it's like the personal branding stuff, which is a lot of the service industry, the coaching and all that stuff, you are the brand. And so that the, the one to one starts to become tighter in terms of the marketing of their identity to the providers identity. But if you're, let's say you're NASA, or a rubber company or something like that maybe certain products need more effective targeting for customers social identities um, and others don't maybe if you're more of a commodity you know you sell sugar or flour you know whether one company or another it's it. everybody buys sugar and flour at the grocery store regardless of their social identity i'm wondering if some of this depends on what's being marketed. i don't think
3: so well i i
6: I would like to speak to that because I think um, there is a lot of cross-pollination. Um, there's something called, um, I think it's the Michelin Report or something like that, where uh, it's, um, it's a report that talks about restaurants and a lot of these different um, businesses where they get a certain rating from Michelin, and Michelin are the tires. So, Michelin, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Michelin produces reports so that people would drive those places, and in effect, it would benefit them as a tire manufacturer.
3: Right, because then when they wear So cars, I think,
6: yeah, so the thing about it is really finding out how you can complement something, or if you can uh, tap into more of your client and finding out what really moves them to take certain behavior and uh look at it from more than one angle than just what you are providing for them
3: and if you're one of those big companies like you mentioned nasa right uh marketing is still very relevant because uh and maybe i'm looking at this from a different perspective but i have a, a young airman that i've been uh, mentoring and coaching uh here in the air force and his full-time position he works for nasa as an electrician and um one of the things I noticed I've been studying how they recruit talent. This guy's a very talented electrician, right? Very sharp guy, uh, great dude, positive energy. I mean, if you want any company would be happy to have him. So if you are one of those big, big companies and maybe your client is really your employees. Because like you said, if you're a big ass steel company and you have access to that type of resources, then you're I, I think you're 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 um your proposition may shift towards making sure you have the best talent because you already can lock down those deals. 100% LJ, and what's really
2: interesting is I've got family that work in Silicon Valley. And what's fascinating is all the companies pay the same now. You know, if you're Facebook, Google, Cisco, whatever it is over there, they all pay the same. They all have the same healthcare benefits. They all have the same, sorry Americans, you guys get a crappy amount of holidays each year. Oh, dear, you need more holiday, seriously. But then you get all the President's Day and all the other vacations. They're all the same benefits. So how do you differentiate? And what's really interesting that I've learned is that these, these companies are differentiating based on their CSR policies, because if you can earn the same, what's going to attract you to a, to, to an organisation? So I think what you're talking about, marketing to your internal employees or potential employees, is a real challenge because finding good talent, and if anybody's had to recruit the last 12 months, it's a bloody nightmare. Finding talented people, reality is everybody pays the same same benefits, so why should somebody work for you? And it connects to your values, it connects to your Simon Sinek why stuff, and it connects to your CSR. And I think that's where it becomes really interesting. So if you are that ball bearing manufacturer, you 're absolutely right you don't need to worry about standing with something politically to your external customers but you certainly do to your internal team
5: hmm i throw something in there sugar uh, yes everybody buys sugar but a company like Tate and Lyle it's not just the the common the, uh, the common consumer is one target audience but one what you know one of the biggest customers of, of um, sugar from Tate and Lyle will be the coca-cola corporation who needs to buy tons of sugar you know sometimes people sometimes the customer of an organization isn't that isn't that obvious i've spent many i've spent the last decade doing a lot of work for um as a as a teacher and a trainer here in the uk and when i'm teaching students uh, whatever i'm teaching them or whatever i always say to them who's the customer here and they say we are because you're teaching us and i say no and they and they say what do you mean is it the college who's providing the um the the qualification i say no i says the british government you're the product you know you being a learned student a learned human being who can fit into society and do certain things you're the product the customer isn't always that obvious i would argue that marketing and, and 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 target customers and all that sort of stuff is something that is relevant to absolutely every industry um I'm, i'd be happy to be proved wrong on that uh, thing but right now i believe that everybody has got has got to think about target marketing um and that could be company that could be other companies it could be governments um it could be charities could be whatever but there's always there's always somebody that's getting served by by things
3: Hey Jason, about quick reset,
1: brother. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Darren, and everybody who is actually contributing from uh, you know with regards to today's conversation uh, about this article which I have found by Howard Business. It's about why your customers' social identity matters, and uh, it's an article which I really fell in love with, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm into corporate identity design and since we develop visual identities, uh, you know, marketing is also a part of the process, you need to have a fair sense of sense and understanding about marketing. So that's that's what brought me to this article. So today I have been joined by Della, who likes Uh, who is passionate about breaking down complex subject matter to something very simple to understand. She's in the teaching profession for almost about 14 years now. So Della, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, You know, you have provided us to be a part of this today's show Uh, about social identities. uh, I want to just go through something real quick, which I'm reading right now from this article. It states that we all have an image of ourselves or a sense of who we are. This is called our self concept, Social identity is a part of our self concept that results uh, from our perceived membership in a group or tribe or whatever you call it. So people like to get associated in certain tribes or groups membership whatever you call it that's how they associate and relate themselves and i think these groups uh, these uh, groups can be of interest or something which they are associated associated with due to their profession or something else but you know marketers can really influence these individuals to shift from one group to another so that is also possible so a lot of other insights on these articles i i was i have stumbled upon especially your case study not case study but a brief overview about how nescafe handled it how jeep handled it how toyota uh, toyota hybrid cars handled the situation if you go through the article you should be able to find it so i want to uh, you know, say thanks to each and everybody who has actually joined our conversation. So this is like an open dialogue. We should keep the room on for another 10 minutes. And after that, we will wind it up. So go ahead, guys. Anybody who would like to share.
3: Yeah, great. I
4: want to share something. I think um, just from hearing everyone talk, you know, as I, I told you, I'm starting my own. I'm st- I've been working on my business for nine months. And the one thing that I should have done that everyone has told me to do that I'm going to do now is I need to ask um my audience, I need to ask my potential students what they want. You know, I have gone and created things for them thinking it was what they needed and what they wanted, but I never actually asked them. So, you know, that's something that I'm gonna be working on um in the next couple of days.
3: I wanted to share another analogy and uh and I actually took this analogy and worked it into my business when I first started selling insurance. So um a lot of you guys are familiar with Geico, right? The uh, the Gecko, right? Is there uh... And so there was, I forgot what book I was reading and I, and I hate to, to not be able to give credit where credit's due, but Geico actually markets to children. I don't know if you guys knew that, um, but they, uh, the, the, the company markets to children and, and, and the way that they do it is that more insurance is sold in the parking lot of a dealership here in the US. And a lot of that goes to Geico because when, when you're a 19 year old kid or you know, you just got into the military or whatever, and they ask you, do you have insurance? And you say no, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Skyco. Because that gecko was like it was a you know, it was, it was aimed towards kids. So that company has literally been marketing to you for years, right? And you didn't really realize it. And I, I took that's that- not an Go original ahead. idea though.
2: Because Camel cigarettes no, no, were doing that. Camel <laughs> were doing that for fourteen years.
3: The the cool camel guy, right? He was the cool guy with the glasses. I remember that, right? that what you talk about? I forget what his name literally was. Literally Camel, uh, but, the talking camel that was targeting
2: children, apparently.
3: Yeah, exactly. And so I took that concept. So when I got into uh the insurance industry, uh our products, you know, you have to make over a certain amount of money, I think hundred K a year, uh between seventy and hundred K to, you know, purchase one of our products. So what I what I would do and is I was going and I was doing financial workshops for students at aviation schools. Right. And, uh, a lot of the other agents were like, why are you doing this? Like these guys don't even have any money yet, but I understood the industry that they're going into. I said, well, I'm going to give, giving them workshops and I'm going to be getting contact with these guys. And so a year from now when they're graduated or two years from now, when they're done with this school, they're going to be making well over 80 to 90,000 a year in the industry. Right in the aviation industry, and so when it's time for them to purchase an insurance policy, I'm the guy that's going to follow, keep in touch with them, and so that's how I sold a lot of policies very quickly. I just kind of like was planting these seeds with people, and then a year later, and once people started figuring that out, guess what? Other agents started doing. They started going to trade schools. I even I even was invited to go to nursing schools. Actually, I was getting into a nursing school here in Virginia, but that's right right before COVID and I was gonna go to nursing schools and teach them about uh, different financial concepts. And literally, I had a curriculum. I knew the whole process. I talked to schools before. And the same the same company that ran the uh, aviation school ran a lot of the trade schools here in this area. And so she got me on board with them. And so I, I gotta get back in touch with her, but I'm actually moving from Virginia right now, so that might not be relevant. But my point is, I was like planting these seeds with these guys, like basic financial concepts. And then when it became relevant to them, I'd be there to help them out uh, long term. So kind of just want to give you guys that 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 concept of sometimes you can you could be targeting your market before they're even in the. In that demographic, because I think what happens is and this goes back to my point before, is that sometimes we're like people change. So if the information I'm giving to you is relevant when you're a kid and when you're an adult, I think it's it's, it's important to kind of point those out, those core values, those core beliefs. Versus just like, oh, if they're not making a hundred thousand, I can't talk to them. No, that's that's very short sighted and it's very costly.
1: Awesome, I appreciate all those insights, guys. Uh, let's actually go ahead, uh, you know, let's take final thoughts and we will wrap up the room. I want to be respectful with uh, Della's time. Uh, so I appreciate you guys who, you know, who joined today's conversation. I want to let you guys know that you know, there's an article pinned right onto the top by Harvard Business, and that is what we are discussing and brainstorming. We are trying to learn from one another. A lot of marketers in this room, entrepreneurs, professionals, and even designers and people who are into the branding and identity design, uh, you know, is also a part of today's conversation. So welcome each and everybody. Please bookmark the link once you open it so that you can review it. Now remember, this is a, since it's a HBR article, you know, it only allows you to open it once. Uh, if you open it again, it would ask you to subscribe to it. So you can open it on Incognito so that you don't lose that uh, free access, one-time access. Just wanted to. You know, throw that in. So let's go around the room, starting with Della, LJ, Adele, Darren, and America Supermom. Let's get some final thoughts and let's wrap up the room. So go ahead, Della. Do you have anything you'd like to share? Yeah.
4: Sure, I just, I wanted to thank you, Jason, um, for us doing this room today. I, you know, when he first questioned me, I was like, I don't know anything about that. Like I saw the word Harvard and I got overwhelmed and I was like, well, let me just start reading it first. Let me just read this article. And I realized that it does apply to me, it applies to everybody. And, um, you know, just uh, thank you for the opportunity to listen and learn to each one of you that came up and put your uh, comments in the chat. And uh, that's, that's that, just thanks guys.
1: Awesome. It's always nice to have you and to get to know more about you, Della. uh, Is there anything you'd like to share about what you do as an entrepreneur so that uh, people who are listening can get benefit from it? How can people reach out to you? What kind of professional service you offer? Let's hear that out before we go to LJ
4: sure yeah so i am an online english teacher so i work with people from all over the world to help them feel more confident in their english speaking skills i am also absolutely passionate about reading and breaking down texts and books for anyone i believe that if you want to read something if you want to get to to build stronger reading habits it is within your reach um so you know if you know anyone who is learning english um, or just needs help with literacy i am um i'm here
1: Awesome. So I just want to let you guys know that, you know, she's uh, just being very modest here. So she can really bake complex uh, things and breaking it down simplified. I have really seen it in action today was one such example so if you want to reach out to Della please uh, hit the follow button send her a DM directly on Clubhouse or Instagram if you want to reach out uh, to Della on her website is DellaTeaches D-E-L-A-T-E-A-C-H-E-S dot com once I upload this podcast later on as a bonus episode not immediately but it's gonna be on Clubhouse on replay but later on, you should have all these links listed on, on the description. So thank you so much for that, Della. So let's go to LJ. LJ, any parting thoughts? Any final thoughts? How was the article according to you? Anything you'd like to share?
3: Yeah, I actually, um, I'm, I'm probably going to go back through and reread it. I didn't get a chance to read the entire article. I did kind of skim through it. And uh, for something like this, I definitely want to kind of uh, unpack the, uh, the thoughts uh, it's important to read over things that you may disagree with or, you, or, or and figure out why that's the case and maybe you're wrong. So uh, that's my my key takeaway and as, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think you're doing a great job, Jason, uh, with these rooms. Um, I like the format, I like the flow and uh, that's all I got.
1: Thank you, LJ. So guys, if you don't know about LJ, he is one of those pioneers who really helped me to shape my podcast game up. So if you see formats, if you see the style of the conversation, a lot of things has influence from how he has mentored me. If you are planning to uh, start a podcast, okay it's good to have some one-on-one consultation it's not going to be free but you know it's going to be really worth it Uh, so lj is a man to reach out to and not only that he has some really creative ideas when it comes to how to monetize and make money from it also plus he does offer a lot of advice on marketing and entrepreneurship in general so really cool guy to you know chill around i'm sure you guys would have realized it by now so please give him a follow do reach out to him as much as possible so i wanted to say thanks to lj for being a mentor and thanks for helping me uh, you know get my whole thing on track so thank you so much for that brother lots of love to you uh, adele I appreciate your patience. Is there anything, any, any final thoughts you have? And I just wanted to welcome you officially to the Brand Identity Design Club. I see that you're new, as well as Darren, and I see many others who also joined who are actually new to our club. So please give the club a follow because we have intellectual conversation, not about just design, but entrepreneurship. We specifically focus on entrepreneurship because that is my target market, and I'm being very, very intentional. So this is marketing, as you see, in its purest form. Thank you.
0: Oh, great conversation. I've enjoyed this. Um, Yeah, this is fabulous. And LG, I think I've been meaning to contact you. I think we had a conversation way back in the day about my podcast. I've just been distracted with a bunch of things. But no, I think this has been really fabulous. Um, I'm sort of on a research mission for um, what I think is a newer, a new way of business that's coming in. I feel like some of the older ways are falling to the wayside, but there are some basics about marketing and communication between humanoids and entrepreneurship that are tried and true, even though the landscape is changing. So I love these in depth, thoughtful conversations. Thank you
1: awesome so so nice to have you uh, here Adele great to know you so thank you so much Darren I wanted to also once again welcome you to the brand identity design club uh, is there any final thoughts you have and it's so awesome to hear you guys speak
5: I just want to say thank you for providing this space I went through my hallway and uh, as I often see lots of uh, really silly room titles that I just just not where i want to be in life um so just see, just finding a room where there's a bunch of people sitting around talking in a, in a more intellectual manner about about things that matter that can help us all um really really great um i i also skim skim read the article and it's just reminded me of how how important uh, certain subjects like this um, are, and it's, it's also LJ as well. Thank you for react- reactivating my memory and reminding me about things that are relevant that I know about in this space. So yeah, really good. Thanks.
1: Awesome. So thank you so much for that, Dad. And I'm glad that you got value from today's conversation. And it was intellectual and you didn't feel bored. So thank you so much for being here, America Supermom. Do you have any final thoughts?
6: Well, I just want to say this has been a great conversation, great discussion. You know, it is uh, definitely a testament to the power with uh, reflection. You know, taking the time to ask yourself questions and ponder things is the best way to think. Uh, You know, this is something that's near and dear to me because uh, in my journey, I struggled with depression for 13 years and uh, three hospitalizations and I was numb. I didn't like to do a lot of thinking. I like to avoid it. You know, I just was trying to get through another day. So I really value taking the time to be able to ask myself questions and realize that I can change my reality by choosing to do something different. So love the conversation. You always have great rooms. So thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So I, I wanted to quickly acknowledge uh, Lachelle Atkins, also known as America Supermom on, on, on Clubhouse. Uh, she is an awesome person. She's actually a mother to 15 and she has been on my show. A guest and her story is very very powerful. You know, you guys please do follow her. Uh, she's also associated with a club called as the Elephant Strategy, which I'm a proud member of. Um, we gather every uh, every day and we try to push, encourage and help entrepreneurs. And every you know, it's like it's like a small family uh, which I have. So uh, so America Supermom is really cool, and uh, I really enjoy her company. So thank you so much for that. I wanted to quickly uh, give you guys uh, you know heads up that you know I specialize in corporate identity design. I've pinned uh, the link to my uh, my link tree there are a few ways how you can support the club uh, if you are interested so if you feel the content makes sense. Uh, So one way of doing it is to obviously follow the club and nominate members to you know, whom you whom you feel are entrepreneurs who would get benefit from our conversation, you know, please nominate them to the club. Second way of uh, supporting the club is by donating. So so the change in the audio quality and uh, all these things which you have noticed is because many people actually supported the show. And uh, once you Donate. It does help me to buy uh, more assets, which I can use on the podcast and make it better. So please, uh, you know, use the Linktree link. Uh, there is an option to donate and support the show. It also gives you indication on what are the episodes which are which are expected to show up in the next you uh, know few days or weeks time. So it also gives you insights on that. Uh, you can benefit by hiring me for brand strategy and identity design brand identity design so the, the links are mentioned uh, on the link tree please reach out to me identity design is a very data-driven process It it is intended not just connecting visuals and graphical elements together it is more intentional and you have to be very very intentional and you need to study and understand the market before you take certain steps so so if you if, you, if that interests you if that that is something which your company is looking out for. Do reach out to me. So I appreciate you, everybody who's here, and uh, we will end the room. Uh, I like this song by Coldplay about weekend, so I'm just gonna play that. So thank you, thank you guys for being here. You take care of yourself, and you have a lovely Sunday.
3: Thank you. Awesome room, Jason, as always.
1: <laughs> thank you, LG. Thank you, guys.
3: Chase's nickname is Big Sexy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much, Della, and I love you.